In our last episode, we learned a bit about how public sector unions came about and some of the ways a union ensures that we have fair working conditions. We also learned about something called agency fees. Since 1977, there have been forces attempting to dismantle public sector unions through divide and conquer. In today's episode, we'll continue to talk with Paul Georges, UTL President and Executive Board Vice President of AFT Massachusetts. The Janus case was heard before the U.S. Supreme Court recently, but efforts to dismantle and weaken public sector unions didn't just begin with Janus, did they? No, not at all. And I, you know, I guess to put it in perspective, with the rise of public sector unions, there was a provision made that that unions could bargain over the ability to charge members who did not want to be did not want to become union members for the services they received from the union as the exclusive representative to negotiate contracts, enforce contracts, and, and that sets compensation levels and working conditions. Mm -hmm. But there were a number of challenges that came, and the first one was Abood, where the uh, Abood versus the um, City of Detroit, Detroit, yeah. Detroit Board of Education. And it was found that it was legitimate and constitutional that these individuals would pay a fair share of the cost of negotiating, enforcing, and so on, policing their contracts and arbitrating if necessary. Just more recently, just a couple of years ago, in 2014, there was a case called the Friedrichs case, where it was um, uh, Friedrichs was a uh, a teacher in California, and that case went to the Supreme Court, acting as I think the sixth or seventh challenge to a boot. Oh goodness! <laughs> and what ended up happening was that the case was heard because Friedrichs indicated that she did not want to pay dues in any way, shape, or form, and as an infringement of her uh, First Amendment rights. And it was strongly felt at that particular point because the nature of the Supreme Court had turned much more conservative and pro-business, that there was a good chance that that case would have been, would have been, would have upset or, or, or uh, overthrown uh, the Abood case. But what ended up happening is as the Supreme Court was deliberating on this, uh, Chief Justice Scalia passed away. And the end result was that it ended up being a 4-4 tie. Four, uh, and the 4-4 tie means it sets no new precedent, so the precedent they, remained. They stick with it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now what's happened is there was a fast-track effort to try to bring this case, a, a similar case, it's called the Janus case, which is in many of the people who are advocating for this Janus case, the conservative groups and think tanks and so on, and deep-pocketed corporate entities that are trying to push this case, felt as though the Janus case would be a continuation of the Friedrichs case, largely. But now you ended up with Neil Gorsuch as the new Supreme Court judge, who is very conservative, and their hope is that with the Supreme Court decision, because of the political nature of the Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court will say it make it unconstitutional for people to pay even an agency fee or fair share of the cost of creating, policing, maintaining uh, contract provisions in negotiations, and thus allow free riders to exist with the intention of, of trying to collapse support for unions. 
Well, let's do a quick follow-up from the last podcast. Talk to us about what a right-to-work state is. What does that term right-to-work mean, and wouldn't that be a good thing? Well, right-to-work, very often used in union terms as right-to-work for less, means that individual individuals don't have the right. They have a right to be part of a union, but the union may not have a right to negotiate based within the, the limits of state law or can only function within the limits of state law. Um, so what happens in those states is usually wages are stagnant. We've seen this more recently in the right-to-work states where teacher uprisings, where many teachers haven't seen salary increases in some cases of a decade or more. And the, the advocacy of the union is somewhat, or can be considered weak because it's limited by state law in trying to make sure there's adequate funding to make sure that schools address the needs of students and make sure there's supplies available to them. And in many of these states where you've seen the uprisings this spring, it's because people have hit the boiling point. Teachers and, and uh, support staff have hit the boiling point where they've been promised by state legislators that there would be improvements in working conditions and compensation. And at this point, it's, it's gotten to a point where they've acted this out by doing statewide strikes, educational strikes to try to bring... It's, it, as a matter of fact, in the Abood case, one of the, the, the case, one of the arguments used by the Supreme Court in the unanimous decision that it was fair for agency fee people to pay for the services given by the unionists, they say it advanced, their argument was, it advanced labor harmony. And it's hard to disagree with that, considering yeah, not having that ability to get that uh, those resources so the union runs effectively has resulted in so many states where teachers and, and support staff become so frustrated they've simply walked out of their classrooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't that incredible that they would do that, that they've been pushed to do that? There seems to be some, I don't know how to put this, some, some other motivation to pushing this Janus case through. Well, the, the motivation is by people who would like to destroy unions in this country altogether. Mm -hmm. Now, because the larger percentage, largest percentage of organized union members or union members are now in the public sector as manufacturing has disappeared or sure. diminished and so on, it, the you know you have the service industry and also you have public sector educators, fire, police, public safety, DPW workers. Um, you get the state level. You have the agencies that represent you know um, uh, various, uh, for instance, uh, mental health institutes mm -hmm. and so on. Nurses. Now that's private because they work for hospitals. But in some cases, they're public. For instance, nurses that work in the school system are represented by a union. Um, but most of the focus and growth of unionism has been in the public sector. Uh, and that creates a target to those, those folks, those individuals that would like to see unions collapse. And you usually use the, the, the rhetoric or argument that the unions are problematic in improving conditions, whether it be in education or wherever it might be, which I think has been disproven, heavily disproven again and again, because again, the best performing states when it comes to public education are the states that are strongly unionized. Yeah, that certainly would lay that whole false narrative to a 
be right. alive. Well, and what happens yeah. too is in these cases, Amy, when, the, when you have an individual like Janice, who is fighting his own union, AFSCME, and Janice has received, gotten the benefit of being, yeah. being a union member with increased wages and pensions. He has health insurance uh, that, the, that the unions, you know, uh, struggled for and maintained. There's, there's lots of documentation that this person, Janice, has done uh, quite well by being a union member. But he finds a principled issue that he doesn't want to be a union member, but he wants the benefit of being a union member. So how does the, the how do these cases get to the Supreme Court? They come because yeah. of money. That's a good question. And the money the money comes from right wing agencies and individuals. In this case, the Koch brothers, they have been anti union for decades. Oh. They have a history. The uh, Center for Individual Rights, um, donors of the foundations of Donors Trust, Donors Capital Fund, chief contributors, uh, contributors of Charles Koch, you know, the, the Richard and Helen DeVos Foundation. That's the Helen. There's a name we know. Yes. <laughs> yes. The DeVos Foundation of Michigan. Um, the Cato Institute receives benefit from them. The Dunn Foundation, there's all kinds of, they're, they're all right-wing think tank tanks that are backing this case. Mm -hmm. So there is a huge amount of money, and sometimes it takes some effort to try to find out how these people tag into this because much of it becomes dark money. But once you go and look at where they're filing all of these voluntary contributions, on, you find out that many of them are very, very right-wing, anti-union, right-to-work groups industrial groups who do not want to live with the threat of organized labor unifying members in the kinds of activities that cost businesses or uh, that, that can compete because they want to control it the way they want to control it. So this is an attempt to try to undermine all unionism in this country by going after the biggest sector, which is public sector. So, Paul, this is really something like a Trojan horse for unionized professionals like the UTL. Is that right? Well, yeah, because I mean, it, it's, it's, I guess the argument that they would make is you can give yourself, I know what the argument's going to be. They're going to say, give yourself a raise and don't pay union dues. Yeah. But you'd have to be very short sighted to just look at it because historically this has carried the, 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 the growth that, that public sector unions have offered their members have come over decades. And a short-sighted solution would be to say, okay, I'm just going to take, I guess they, they would, I don't know if it's greed they're anticipating, you know, that they would anticipate, but they would try to, they would try to have you be tricked into a short-term gain at long-term progress, or right. the cost of long-term progress. Mm -hmm. So, and we, we think, you know, we represent educators, and they're, they're smart people. And I think they will understand and do understand where they would be if they did. all they have to do is look at the states that are non-union states right Absolutely. now and what kind of trouble they're experiencing, the compensation levels that nobody can live off of, particularly people with advanced degrees, or should have to live with, and understand that the unions have been effective in advocating again not only for them but for the children too. The a, a perfect example I'll give you right now. 
state unions for in this in this state for decades have been pushing for OSHA standards for municipal workers in schools. Now you'd say because they weren't covered by OSHA standards, that's a federal standard until now. Mm -hmm. Earlier sure this year, something nobody really understands. Earlier yeah. this year, yeah. the state passed it and doesn't go into effect until a year later. Mm -hmm. But what it does mean is OSHA standards for employees, meaning custodians, cap workers, teachers, paraprofessionals, and so on, are now extended to people in public sector schools. But that also extends that 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 protection to the students within those schools Absolutely. too. That's yeah, right. That Absolutely. would not have happened if it had not been for a national effort and particularly a state effort to try to get that legislation passed in the state house. Yeah. And I think it would be a surprise to most people that schools in particular aren't covered by OSHA standards. No, so they're not. their air, air quality standards aren't the same Correct. for uh, an employer in the private sector as it is in a public and school. And especially with the year that we had in yeah. Lowell where we had problems with heating and so on. Now, we understood this year was an unusual year. It's yeah. extremely cold. There are certain other environmental factors we have no control of. However, the end result of that primarily is because of long-term neglect. Yeah. Yeah. And it, with this OSHA regulations, we are in a much stronger place to enforce rules that will ensure a healthy and safe environment, not only for the employees, but the children that they care about so much. Absolutely. So Janice really has a troubling background, doesn't it? Our working professionals would be tricked into weakening their unions that protect them from unfair working decisions, and that's really scary stuff. So we thank you again, Paul, for being with us today. and. Uh, we do want to point out to our listeners that we are going to post a couple of videos below this uh, audio link so that you can investigate a little bit more about the effects of Janus on those right-to-work right states. Well, and I would say if, uh, for further information, just look at the people who are backing the Janus case. They are, they are conservative think tanks that would like no better than to weaken unions where teachers or where workers have a voice mm -hmm. and can battle the influence of huge money. Uh, and I think by we've done we've done a good job with over the years with with yes. our members. We, we believe that they understand that and any petty differences that we may have over some other issues I think overwhelmingly shown that the teachers teachers and, and uh, public sector employees in the city of Lowell have benefited over decades uh, because of their union affiliation. Them. Absolutely yes. means that you can keep teachers in the profession longer uh, and have greater experience. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul, and thank you, listeners. We hope you'll take a moment to hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with our weekly podcasts. Show notes for this episode can be found on the UTL website at www.utl495.org. In our next episode, we'll be talking about the Janus case once again as we expect the Supreme Court to hand down their ultimate decision on this case. We want to understand a little bit more about the impact of Janus on our everyday UTL life. We hope you'll tune in again next Tuesday for UTL Straight Talk. 
Let us know how we're doing, and be sure to let us know if you have additional topics you'd like us to explore. Until next week, this is Amy Bisson and Mickey Dumont. We're wishing you all a great week and a wonderful 4th of July.